Welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 23rd of January, 2021. Uh, it is now 1.02 in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, this discussion uh, stems from an incident in which a handful of young men who constructed a wood and galvanized structure at a site off a road in Parham took to social media to protest the demolition of the structure on the orders of the Development Control Authority. Uh, it has become a national news item and consumed a great deal of attention within the last week. Essentially, the young men argued that it was wrong for the DCA to have, according to them, abruptly demolished their structure without sufficient notice. And that's according to them. They argued that they had been back and forth with the authority in good faith and had done much to keep in line with what was being asked of them. Uh, this extract that you're about to hear uh, is of the young men. In the aftermath of the demolition, it was filmed on Facebook Live by another gentleman. Thing is, the thing is, right, whether whether the building was illegally put here or yeah, legal or yield by, by um, we have we get the okay to do it. They 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 want to come and break it down, you know. And they need to come even, and say, right. well, guys, you have you have until later to take it to 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 remove the building. Uh, we will do something and demolish the building or what what's not. They just come and they just do it, just so out of the blue, you check. Is 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 um is is a phone call we get from um a relative from in the village saying if we are aware we, what's going on by the time we come the place is in shambles and that's wrong we're anti guns. After the 14th of January demolition of the Param shop, uh, one of the gentlemen, Malcolm Reed, who is uh, as I said one of the operators of the business, said that he was at a loss as to why the structure was torn down. Uh, he told Observer that he and the group of friends had received a stop order for the building from the DCA uh, back in January of 2021 for building without permission, but that approval was granted in March last year until the 9th of March 2022. Uh, he said that things appeared to be okay until they received notice to vacate the land, but that he was still of the view, after further talks with the DCA, that they would still be allowed to operate until the March 9th, 2022 deadline. Uh, the young men did reveal that some allegations were made uh, about their activities at the shop, uh, which they denied. For something to see. They say we're selling drugs here, right? Why would we selling drugs and having prostitutes having here and having strip club when we know we have people living close by? That make any sense? More than 10 by 10 huh? can hold prostitutes. Exactly. 10 by 10 building can hold in people like that. You wouldn't do such a thing. Let I want to sell drugs here. Let me say something, right? I know there are some real stupid, dirty hard people in this country, right? I achieve people serving. No. I rob people. No. I make an honest living. Exactly. Honest, me find honest. some people just stupid with the mentality that I have. Them man out your teeth, nobody serving. Them man out your rob, nobody man not kill nobody. So real stupid mentality some people carry the, in this country. It's just a big determination that is basically relying on us, falsely accusing us, you know, so we do saying we're doing hard ah, just because they want them to move. demolish us. They check. We have no, we have no, no thought and no idea of what they're saying that that is going on. Listen to me. That, of course, was, as I said, another extract from a live video where the uh, young men were examining the aftermath of the demolition. Now, the DCA, that's the Development Control Authority, put out a release this weekend saying the following, quote, It has come to the attention of the Development Control Authority that a number of incorrect and misleading statements are circulating in the public domain surrounding the removal of an illegal timber shed belonging to a Mr. Kimani Gardner located on Church Street in Parham Town. The DCA wishes to point out the following facts. A DCA building inspector, Oren Smith, discovered the construction of the said timber shed by Mr. Kimani Gardner without permission from the relevant authorities, authorities in January 2021. On January 22nd of 2021, the DCA served Mr. Gardner an enforcement notice instructing him to cease construction immediately. Uh, Mr. Gardner was advised to seek written permission from the Lands Division to occupy the Crown land and to prepare a plan for the structure to be approved by the DCA. Uh, Mr. Kimani Gardner was granted a one-year permit by the Chief Lands Officer, Mr. Sean George, to occupy the said Crown land from March of 2021 to March of 2022 for the sole purpose of selling fruits and vegetables from the farm that he operated, and to do so utilizing a 10 by 10 structure. 
The permit from the Chief Lands Officer, Mr. Sean George, advised Mr. Gardner that he would require permission from the DCA for the construction of any fixed structure on the said Crown land. Mr. Gardner subsequently produced a crude freehand scratch of a proposed shed. He was advised by Building Inspector Oren Smith that the sketch was inadequate for DCA approval and that a complete and professional drawn document was required before approval would be granted. Such a drawing was never presented to the DCA. In the ensuing months, the DCA observed additions and extensions being made to the said shed, which had an enforcement notice to cease construction. Uh, during the period of additions, illegal additions, uh, Mr. Gardner requested written permission from the Lands Division for assistance in applying to the Antigua Public Utilities Authority for the provision of electricity and water services. The request was declined by the Lands Division due to the permission to occupy conditions uh, not being honored. Uh, it was discovered that Mr. Gardner was using the site for other activities to include cooking and selling of food, the playing of very loud music, and unwholesome practices. Uh, the DCA wrote to Mr. Gardner in a letter dated January 3rd of 2022, giving final notice of five to seven days from the date of the letter to have the structure removed. Mr. Gardner was further advised in person at the DCA headquarters following receipt of the removal notice that the structure would not be allowed based on what was subscribed in the permission to occupy that he received from the Lands Division. It must be noted that Section 17 of the Physical Planning Act of 2003 and Section 47 were contravened. Uh, upon the expiration of the deadline for the removal of the illegal structure, the DCA sought and received the assistance of the Central Housing and Planning Authority, which is better known as CHAPA, and demolished the structure on the 14th of January 2022. Uh, that is the end of the release from the DCA, and that uh, completes the chronicling of this matter. Uh, on this segment, we're going to ask what should we make of the incident, uh, and beyond that, we're going to broaden the discussion to uh, ask the question uh, of whether or not we can avoid disenfranchising small traders, even as we strengthen planning, zoning, and development control uh, within Antique and Barbuda. And, uh, of course, we'll also broaden the discussion to the Caribbean at large. Uh, we have joining our panel for this discussion, Mr. Colin John Jenkins. Um, he joins us on Zoom. He's an architect by profession, trained in architecture and project management. Uh, he's also an advocate of sustainable development practices. He's the principal of the firm CJC and Associates. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Uh, Colin John Jenkins. And I'll ask all our guests on Zoom at this point to unmute their microphones so that we don't have that issue uh, once we do the introductions. Uh, but good afternoon to you, Mr. Colin John Jenkins. How are you doing? Good afternoon. And good afternoon, panelists, and to the public. We have joining us as well uh, Dr. Azad Mohammed. Uh, he's a former coordinator of the graduate program in urban and regional planning at the University of the West Indies, St. Augustine. Uh, he's currently the director of the Caribbean Network for Urban and Land Management. Uh, he has provided policy and technical advice to many Caribbean governments on planning issues, including in the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States and in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, his experience in Antigua and Barbuda covers the regularization of informal development. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. Asad Mohammed. How are you doing? Good afternoon to you and good afternoon to all the listeners. We have joining us as well Mr. Allenson Kruikshank. Uh, he is an experienced environmental and planning consultant as well as a lecturer. Uh, professionally, his areas of focus include disaster risk reduction, urban and regional planning, sustainable development, research and project management. He is a graduate of the University of the West Indies, Mona, St. Augustine, and Cavehill campuses, where he earned degrees in geography and urban and regional planning, among others. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Kruikshank. How are you doing? Good afternoon to you, and good afternoon to all your listeners. And finally, we are joined by Mr. Alistair Alexander. Uh, he is the president of the Barbados Association of Retailers, Vendors, and Entrepreneurs, known as Barven. Uh, among its objectives, its many objectives, are to give vending its due respect and its rightful place in the economic landscape of Barbados. Uh, that organization has a very wide membership in Barbados of people of different trades, and it was formed as far back as 2002 and has been going strong ever since. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Alistair Alexander. How are you doing? Good afternoon to all in our sister island, Caracturum Island. So good to be in Antigua once again, even if it's only on Zoom. Thank you. And we're happy to have you. Um, Mr. John Jenkins, I wonder if we could begin with you. Uh, we have heard the complaint of the young men in Param. Uh, that was uh, thoroughly ventilated, I think, throughout the week. 
Uh, more recently, this weekend, we have seen a response coming from the Development Control Authority. Uh, I want to give all of our guests uh, an opportunity to comment on this issue on the first round before we move into uh, a more general discussion about zoning, uh, development control, and so on. Um, but uh, as I said, we've now heard a response from the DCA. What are your thoughts on the demolition at this point? Because the whole question that was circulating in basically everyone's mind is whether or not it was justified. Uh, but w what are your thoughts on the whole issue at this point? One word, unfortunate. I think it's um, an unfortunate conclusion to the series of events. I, I remember when I saw the video, someone had forwarded it to me um, and asked me if I saw what was taking place. So I took a look and I was following the discussion by the young men. Um, so let me apologize, Earl, in case I drop out, my internet is not working the best at this time. Um, during the video, I saw several pieces of documentation that the young men would have presented to the public and, and their uh, presentation that they would have tried and seek as much as possible to be a legitimate business. I saw what looks like a certification of um, registration of a business name, along with some documentations for tax compliance and, of course, the letter from the chief lands officer speaking to occupancy of the property in relation to certain conditions being met with DCA and for a review pending one year. Um, subsequently, um, there was a release by the Development Control, uh, Control Authority. Uh, I saw this release this morning, uh, very early this morning, I think late last evening, outlining their position on what had happened several days ago. And so we have a position from them. And as such, as I've mentioned, looking at their position and what the young men were, were ventilating on social media, it's an uns unfortunate series of events because, in my opinion, um, I think it could have possibly gone slightly different if they were maybe had better advice in how to look at development or what they were using for their, their line of business. And, and that that could possibly would have led to a, maybe a different outcome. I've noticed that the, the DCA confirmed that they would have engaged them themselves. But the information they provided to meet the, the building code standards for, for what they were looking for didn't meet those standards according to them. So, yeah, unfortunate is uh, the word I'll use. All right. And uh, I, I wonder Hello. if I could. Yes. No, no I, there was just a, a moment there that uh, my microphone was not uh, clicking back on. But sorry about that. Uh, if I could move to Dr. Asad Mohammed um, to get your take on this, this, this issue of the demolition. Uh, we've heard both sides. Uh, what is your feedback on it at this point? Well, I've looked at the materials provided both beforehand and the DCA's response to it. And I, I do say I agree with the issue that it is unfortunate in some aspects. But um, I, these issues tend to be very emotional issues around the topic. And I'm not on the ground to really pick up all the vibes that are going on there. I would say that they're very complex issues. And I will start off by saying that there are some legitimate issues raised in the DCA's letter. For example, I'll give you one of the issues there is, and that is the use that was approved for it, which was to sell um, produce, and the use that was being used for it, which was really to, to cook and supply food and with music. And in many cases like that, where I have been involved trying to support the vendors, unfortunately, they also sell alcohol. Now, I don't know if that was the case. So there are some public health and nuisance issues with loud music and so on involved beyond what the grant for the state lands was for about. But I'd like to, to put this in a, in a historical context. And historical context is we've inherited a colonial legacy in which there are many people who have access and many people who don't have access to land. So there's always for, for carrying on legitimate economic activity and business. So there's always been a historical contestation of the rules and access to space by people who are trying to make a livelihood and get access to economic space. Whereas very often the rules that have applied with respect to planning and land use and so on tend to support the status quo rather than, um, rather than provide economic space for people who have not had access to build space. 
And the reason why I said it was unfortunate is that somebody's scrambling to do that. Some of the conditions seem onerous, that they now have to provide a proper engineer drawing for it. Why weren't there some sample types of drawings that they could have built upon? Or as some of the commentators, why isn't there a program to provide space on state lands in particular strategic locations for people to legitimately vent? So I'm going to say that, yes, I see there are two types of issues involved here and some are the motive. And I, I think there's a balance of issues that need to be met in facilitating allowing vending and similar types of economic activity to take place. And like I mentioned, I have been involved previously in Antigua and Barbuda over the last 25, 30 years on trying to provide solutions to some of these types of issues. And I'd say I worked on a regularization strategy for Point and for Grace Farm, and I helped to set up a little over a decade ago, the past summer grade program, which is summer grade is not the right word. So there, there's a history of some of the attempts to try and do that. And I think that maybe there is need for another look and they haven't gone far enough in really dealing with these issues in a more balanced manner. I like, that's all I like to say for the time being. Uh, Mr. Allenson uh, Kruikshank, uh, whenever the Development Control Authority does something of this nature, uh, it's not uncommon that uh, the public pushback can be fierce. I mean, you have persons who will who will uh, fall on either side, um, persons who will sympathize with, with both parties. But many times there can be a lot of fierce public pushback because you do see individuals uh, trying to make a living um, and running into uh, problems. Uh, do you think the authority could have done anything differently? What, what is your view of, of this issue at this point? Well, as, as I said, it's, it's quite a complex issue, and obviously we are not there on the ground to really... Um, to be um, privy to everything that is that has taken place, but what <clears> I would say is that um, having watched the video by the, the young men um, that was on YouTube, um, somebody somebody points that there is they had some merit in in that um, they were granted permission until March twenty second. Um, although, as Asad mentioned, they were going beyond the use for which they were granted, and I think the space of the structure was a bit bigger than the two hundred um, square feet that they were allotted. Um, some I, I think that the, the issue could have been dealt with in a more um, but, um, humanitarian way, if you want to put it that way, um, in order to, to come to some resolution that would um, avoid what we saw um, taking place. And um, perhaps they could have been given until March. They, in the video, claimed that they were given a notice, but it wasn't hand-delivered to them, which is uh, something that I, I find um, distressing. Um, so, so that's another issue that that, that really, um, you know, it, it 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 stood out to me when I was considering both sides of the information. As as I also mentioned, the DCA has had quite a few legitimate um, um, on the issue based on their letter, if you go according to what the release that they have they have provided. So, um, as I as I mentioned, the conclusion <laughs> I would agree with Mr. Jenkins in that it is unfortunate. But I would also say that um, it could have been done in a more humanitarian manner in order to come to a better resolution than what we saw. Uh, and finally, Mr. Alistair Alexander, uh, just reminding our listeners, uh, Mr. Alistair Alexander is a, a president of the uh, Barbados Association of uh, Entrepreneurs, uh, Vendors. I'm not remembering the, the exact full name at this point, uh, but uh, Vendors Association in, in Barbados, essentially. Yeah. Um, your yes, take Marvin is the, is the acronym in the name that we are most called by and known your take on we are this very issue. careful hello yes your take on this issue have you seen this sort of confrontation before yes yes well i would not of course i would not Bob is very careful we are you know we speak about justice justice has to be for all right you cannot speak of justice and don't speak about justice for all and therefore it, you can you can go you can you can speak it is easy to be emotive um about anything that is done to poor people but remember that we also have administration for reason and law for reason to protect all people including the marginalized so we can't just react to anything just because the authorities has has done it but what I would be very concerned about, let me, let me make a point that um, this is an opportunity. To me, these are, this, this, this type 
of, of situation speaks to something much bigger, as um, Assad has said, of, of all colonial past, of all history. And um, uh, we will have to be, we will have to be writing colonial wrongs while still maintaining structure, law and order. Okay, so to me, this is a, a great opportunity for us to focus on a way forward that these things do not continue to reoccur, right? While we speak in Barvin, we speak about giving opportunity within the context of order. Yes. Uh, coming back to you, Mr. That is, John. That is my take on that. Uh, no, thank you so much. Uh, coming back to you, Mr. John Jenkins, uh, to the broader question of planning, uh, zoning and development control. Um, give me a sense of, of, of to what extent we, we, we practice zoning in Antigua and Barbuda uh, or, or to what extent it is enforced. Uh, I mean, I just want to uh, sort of wrap my head around whether or not there are uh, strict requirements that speak to what you can do in certain areas. Oftentimes we have residential areas and um activities happening next door to people's homes that persons would prefer not to happen, whether you have mechanic shops or you have farms or you have um, vending areas. Uh, but g give me some sense of what the landscape is in Antigua Barbuda. Uh, great question. Um, when Asad mentioned he did some work in Grace Farm on point, I smiled internally because I'm from Grace Farm community. And let me tell you, when you traverse Grace Farm, coming to St. John's and any other place, it's kind of understood that um, zoning is not something that we're strong on at all. You'd have someone who has a hairdresser shop next to someone's home. There is, for instance, a bar next to a cemetery. You, you have all sorts of mix and matches that makes up our community. And I can tell you, because I've been privy to the receiving end of guys practicing for some clashes and so on, serenading me to sleep. It's part of our Caribbean experience and our culture. Um, I'm glad that um, my brother here that mentioned that we, we are now, it's a great opportunity. I've, and the series of events leading to this is unfortunate for us to have the conversation, but it's a great opportunity for us now to talk about how do we avoid this happening again and what do we look for in the future and why i mentioned future this is a great segue to talk about zoning as you've mentioned kevan um, i was privy to and and participated in a consultation held almost 12 years ago um, speaking about something that the ministry came up with called the Sustainable Island Management Resource Zoning Plan for Antigua and Barbuda. This was done in collaboration with Geneva and Ivor Jackson, and I think other consultations with the Department of Environment and so on at that time, to start discussing on uh, an island perspective, how do we now look at our resources and how do we place zoning in such a way that allows for development within the next 20 years. That was the underlying reason for that plan and that exercise. As it currently stands, when I was carrying out some work with the, the Department of Environment and the, the Development Control Authority, looking at the building code and the building guidelines for Antigua and Barbuda being revised and looking to be adopted, the revisions adopted, um, if not this year, um, zoning was not, again, something that was a strong point. So what we had to do was reference this document that was prepared in the building code as something that future investors and persons looking at development can see what the recommendations are. But as it speaks to a strict zoning code, I stand corrected, but I'm not aware that we have one. And so ever so often, you'll have instances where people um, feel ill done by a development going next by or next to them where there are no covenants in place that guides that development. And that has always been a sore point for the public. So we really need to, to look into that going forward.
Uh, and I'll come back to you, uh, Dr. Asad Mohammed, um, to, to sort of blend the issues. I'd ask you to, to follow on, add any comments that you'd want to add at this point on the issue of zoning and planning uh, from your broad experience across the Caribbean. Okay. But I'll ask the question, um, when, well, we, when we do have these sorts of confrontations, uh, particularly in terms of uh, traditional traders and vendors, um, w what is the real issue? What is at the heart of the issue? Is it a question of zoning sorry, and urban planning, or is it uh, an, an issue of just enforcing existing rules? I mean, what is it? I would say that the, that the issue of the zoning and the enforcement of codes in this particular range of issues is always secondary to the, the issue of adequate access to economic space by large segments of our society that is a historical legacy. Because the codes that have been developed um, and the plans that have developed and the laws governing those tend to be really focused on a formal market where people who own land go through a formal process, they have finance, they can build, they can get technical support and so on. And there are large segments of our population who are not in that. And therefore, some of the way in which we do planning and we do enforcement, we do codes, are not really appropriate in the context. That's a, that's a general comment. Um, Colin, I, I also was aware of the plan that was being done. Um, uh, some of my good colleagues were the ones who did the work. Um, and in fact, when we were producing a couple of years after that, um, national and local area planning strategies for the Caribbean, for the OECS, OECS countries, we were trying to create general templates and we reviewed this and it was very well done. However, the, if you look at the planning jurisdictions we have in the region, zoning is an inappropriate term because we have a British system of land designation. We don't have the American system of strict zoning codes where you designate very detailed what this is for that. We have general guidelines in a plan, and then you make your application, and the, the, the regulatory authority, in this particular case, the DCA, in consultation with the environmental division for their reviews of that, will then make a final determination on it. And so there are no strict zoning codes with guidelines in it. And I'm not even sure whether we want to go in that direction, right? Because we have a legacy of informal and haphazard development and inappropriate development that we have to try and retrofit over a period of time. So in this particular case, I think is unfortunate. I think, I think as my colleague Alistair said, it's a, it's a good opportunity to start to look at how we embed the regulation of this type of development in a broader framework that is more appropriate to all the types of relevant development in Barbuda. And the relationship between the building code is normally a different set of regulations for the building code and the land use code. And we need to bring those in a better sync together. Um, this is what we've been trying to do. The OECS countries, for example, have much better building codes than Trinidad and Tobago. You're aware of that, right, Alan, son? I don't know. <laughs> but they do. Barbados is ahead of us in both in both sports, but one of the issues in Barbados, I'll just raise it again on this point. In Barbados, less than one percent of the land in Barbados is owned by the state. And therefore the state has a lot less flexibility in trying to use state land to correct these historical imbalances. That's why you have all these tenantries acts and, and so on and chapel homeowners acts and so on in Barbados because they have historical complex problems and lack of access by a large percentage of the population. It's a little better in Antigua. And this issue is going to come up over and over again unless the state modifies its thinking about what is appropriate planning, land use plans, and building codes, and means to address this large disadvantage, disenfranchised group in the society. So yes, they have it in there, and they've been improving it, they have a very good 2003 act. Um, they have a good director of the DCA. I want to claim him as one of my students, as I will claim Alanson as well. And he's a reasonable person. He's the one who worked with me on the last PSCP program for upgrading squatter strategies in, um, in Antigua and Barbuda and a few other Caribbean countries around a decade ago. 
So this is not an issue of good and bad. This is an issue that what we have is not appropriate to the context. It needs to be looked at and it needs to be upgraded. And this is an opportune time to think about that, especially with respect to vending, use of state lands, and the, and the services and support that are provided to that sector in coming on board and creating economic space for them. Uh, Mr. Allenson, Kruikshank, I'll ask you a question, and then I'll, I think I'll put the same question to Mr. Alexander afterwards. Uh, but Mr. Kruikshank, um, and Mr. Jenkins can correct me if I'm wrong, but in Antigua and Barbuda, we, we don't necessarily have uh, a great many designated market areas around the country where small traders and vendors um, are encouraged to set up, uh, whether they're renting units, whether they're uh, uh, building uh, structures of some kind. Um, we have, for instance, a, a market complex in St. John's, which is often criticized for you know, its cleanliness uh, and what goes on there. Uh, there. There are many times when the activities there are a problem in terms of loiterers, in terms of uh, well, vagrants, uh, stray dogs. I mean, it, 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 the situation does become quite serious at times. So, so we don't have a lot of designated spaces in which we actually encourage uh, small traders to, to, to basically set up shop. Um, is that something we need to do? And is that, I mean, whose responsibility would it be to do that? I mean, we are often criticized for constantly looking at the government and saying, well, you should do this and you should do that and you should do the other. Um, but what do you think about this issue of remedying the problem where uh, a small business person, a small trader, uh, does not have a great deal of resources. They don't have private land to deal with. Uh, and sometimes, as uh, Dr. Mohammed pointed out, it can be quite burdensome to go through uh, the correct procedures and processes to get approvals to do something on, on Crown land. Uh, and, and we don't have a great deal of designated spaces where you can easily just go and set up shop as a small vendor or a small trader. Uh, so what's the solution here? I think that you're, you have um, thrown me the hardest question by far. But I, I would, <laughs> I would, I would, I would, I would say that even with designated areas, as mentioned by Mr. Um, Alexander previously, there will still need to be some type of regulatory framework as to how you go about it. And what Asad alluded to is is one of the main issues in that the section of the population that are working in the informal sector is is becoming larger and larger with time, especially um, since the pandemic began. You know, a lot of persons may have lost their their um, their former livelihood, um, maybe in the formal sector, and they need to provide for their families. So, what you're seeing is that more and more persons are taken to the streets. I, for example, in Saint Vincent, I would tell my wife sometimes when we're driving on the road that since the pandemic started, it's the most persons that you're seeing selling food on the road. So you would pass one person with uh, they're selling food around lunchtime, you know, cooked food. Um, you find one person here and then maybe another 150 yards, there's another person doing the same. And you're wondering to yourself, well, if I want to buy food, who will I choose from? Or do they get sales? Because, you know, so many people are doing the same thing, but they have to, to try something to try to combat the hardship that is, is that they are currently facing due to the pandemic. So I think one of the things that we have to consider is not just a space, because the space is important, but also the... The, the framework that allows persons to make use of that space and also will the space become outgrown in a very short time because of what we are seeing now um, with with more and more persons entering the informal sector. Sometimes you have persons who are in the formal sector, but they also are working in the informal sector as well. You have two or three jobs, you have other things that you're hustling on the side probably to, to, um, to, to, to um, supplement your income. So these are things that we have to consider, and it's not an easy fix, it's not an easy solution. But I, I think that the, one of the ways that we can think of it, um, beyond the designated space, because I think that that is definitely something that is needed. And when it comes to the designated space, um, it, I think that the government would have a large role to play in that term. We, we have to just come to the conclusion that um, in, the, in the Caribbean, government is big, and we are in small island developing states. And when I say government is big, I mean the reach of government is, is, is very big. So because of that, um, a lot of initiatives, even if they're not government-run um, or government-initiated, they end up having um, a lot of government influence. And because of that, government will still have to play a large role in designating these spaces, but also um, finding some way to regulate um, the, the, the sector, but in a way that persons can still enter. 
um, the, the, the issue that Assad brought up about the drawings and you know having a properly engineered drawing and something like that, um, it, it might be very difficult for somebody who is in the informal sector to get um, that level of, of technical expertise um, to advise them on doing, on, do, on doing, on carrying out their business. And so if that is the case, then these expertise may have to be provided. There may have to be some structures, um, some frameworks that, that um, are there to advise persons who want to go into, into these businesses. All right. And uh, not just to advise, but also to provide maybe some support somewhere along the line. Um, and, and that, um, I think, would have to be um, within the remit of government. Uh, uh, Mr. Alexander, the same issue in in terms of yes, please. How do we uh, uh, um, sort of solve that 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 problem? Well, Barvin is very clear that that development don't just happen. Development has to be led, has to be engineered. We are talking. We're talking about historical issues too. There were there when when. The, the white settlers landed in the Caribbean. They engineered development for their people. We have now, through disturbances, clashes in society, historical clashes, we have taken, we have taken the reins, so to speak, of, of political power. And to be truthful, within the context of life is only recent. Sometimes we get on like if we, we have held it long, no. Right. And uh, a lot of what the the, the, the the colonial structure remained in place, it had to. Because, um, again, that was the structure that was there to inherit. We are no independent countries. Praise the Lord, Barbados um got rid of its its last vestige of of um of colonial power i make no i make i make no apologies for saying so okay. now that we have now that we have political power which was given by the people people fought for that political power to put these people in power what do we do with it we therefore have to let me say, at the, at the our first social re, re, um, revolution was the organization of labor. That was our first social revolution. We're talking about economic enfranchisement at this point. Not just the right to, to vote or to hold political power, but also to participate in a meaningful way in the economy. Vendors, have historically been that heroic sector vending that has that has fought against the monopoly of the of the planned class. But it was you you still have had envelop in, in vending, as my brother would put it, inappropriate development. <laughs> right? We, it, all of these things are necessary at this point. It is no magic, nothing to these things, to, 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 the, to, the, to, to when we speak about reparations, we go repair ourselves first, right? And um, let me put it, let me say that government has to look at its people. This is, this is a family. They have now to look at their people, same people like the same Mr. Reed, who is about doing something for himself? You you don't just look at these people as as rogues. They, they, they may be in again, as my brother said, inappropriate development, even behavior. But you have to have a plan for your children. And who don't have a plan to 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 develop their children? See, uh, Mr. Alexander, you've uh, muted unexpectedly. Sorry about that. Right, is the way we are going to we are going to be about their, their child attending university and such like and we're planning towards that. We therefore have to plan for those entrepreneurs because that is where the power is. 
in, econ in economics. And we have to plan for those entrepreneurs that are diamonds in the rough. That is what I'm saying. But we cannot pretend that they, it is not to be ordered. You have to have order. You can have no proper development without order. We will not be saying all the time we see it in the United States and we see it in Canada and we see it in France. No, they're going to come here and see what we have done. And I'm saying, and at this point in time, to be truthful, Marvin, um, have fought and government, you have to organize yourself. I don't know how much time I have here on this topic, but you have to organize yourself. Those, the, 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 uh, you cannot just look those traders and those vendors. I do not know if you all have a vending organization, but it is by we organizing ourselves that we were able to, to knock at government's doors and, and they have opened. Let me pause you on that. Let me let me pause you on that yes, point uh, to 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 pick up with Mr. Colin John Jenkins. Um, Mr. John Jenkins, I'd ask you to respond to anything that you you've heard thus far, but also on that issue of um, perhaps uh, us having some sort of vendors organization in Antigua and Barbuda. There may be a few informal, but I I don't know of any very strong uh, holistic umbrella type organizations for vendors in Antigua and Barbuda that could perhaps actually sit with the government and uh, you know work out a few strategies that would. Uh, enhance, as uh, uh, Dr. Mohammed said, the ability for persons in the informal sector uh, to more easily enter and, and function within that sector in spaces and zones and, and on land, particularly sometimes crown land because the government does own a lot of land, um, without so much hassle and without uh, unfortunate incidents such as the one that sparked this discussion. Uh, I'm not familiar that they, uh, how many vending organizations they have. I want to believe there are some of them that exist. I can't really speak to the how much of them that, that are there. But I know, for instance, when you spoke about areas for vending, apart from Market Street that we are accustomed to, um, Heritage Key also has a, a large vending um, location as well. And then you find similar places in other jurisdictions or other areas in Antigua and Barbuda. But I wanted to touch on a point that's made um, during the discussion about the requirement or the need for at least having planning done. And it is true, as the doctor pointed out, that not all and majority of the persons who are going on these sort of ventures, entrepreneurial ventures, may not have the capacity to look at what some of the requirements are from the Development Control Authority, just because, again, a capacity issue. So my mind is more focused on um, areas, for instance, like we know in St. John's, there is the St. John's Development Corporation that aid vendors in putting spaces out and organizing them in such a manner so that it doesn't become an issue. And the issue doesn't always have to be on the side of the persons in terms of customers. The issue can be as well their own protection. Because when you consider circulation, how much we have developed and in terms of traffic and so on, you want to make sure that they are protected. You don't want a situation where they are harmed from some sort of freak accident or issue that takes place with transportation and they are, you know, worse done by it. But in terms of the communities themselves that are outside of St. John's or maybe outside of other organizations that deal with regulation like the national parks, this is where community groups and political representation could possibly step up. So you have a situation where um, persons are looking to try and apply a trade in vending and they could go to a community group or um, political representation of that area and say, look, I, I need some assistance. I don't have the capacity. Can you assist me here? And then those links are made with the persons who can offer some assistance so that we don't have a situation like what we have experienced now. So yes, I think there is a solution for it and it's a communal solution. And it's not always in the formal sense. There is a time and place for the formal sense. But then, of course, at the base of all things is the community, how we are relating to each other to help each other out in such a difficult time like this pandemic. Uh, Dr. Mohammed, uh, final round of questions. Um, what would you want to add at this point, um, particularly as we discuss uh, how, not to, how not to have these incidents, incidents Sorry, in the future? Two quick, two quick points here. One is to follow up on what uh, Colin just said. Vending can't just go anywhere. For a vendor to be successful, the vendor must be located where there is traffic. So location is important, right? So therefore, 
if vendors have to go where there's traffic, when I say traffic, movement, people who will purchase and make use of the, the services they offer, they will tend to be in areas where there are traffic issues, there are public health issues, there are safety issues. So it is even more important in the urban areas or the crossroads of major areas where you could disrupt traffic and safety and so on, that the DCA and the, the St. John's Authority and other people like that get involved in managing the space and how vendors operate. I think that's important. It's no good to get a nice, good piece of state land somewhere and you have no access to customer. That's the first point. And the second point I want to make is that in all we talk about, we have to remember the propensity of the issues in our area when we do any kind of planning or building is the issues of climate change and disaster management. Um, Colin, when I worked in some of those quarters areas, I mm-hmm. found that the old chapel houses survived the hurricane. Yes. yes. And the new, the new recent from a government, in those days, a Trinidadian contractor with the government <laughs> collapsed under it. So we want yes. to ensure that when we are supporting people in these activities, we support them in a way that is resilient. So the <laughs> thing we must face every so often, we will face the, the natural disaster in all our Caribbean islands, and we will face the issue of the impacts of climate change, and those need to be building to what advice and where we take people who already are on the line. We can't provide solutions that put them on the line. So those are the two class points I like to make, other than to say, I agree completely with Alistair that this is a good starting point to start to have a discussion in Antigua and maybe in the other Caribbean of how we deal with this issue. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Allenson, Kareek Shank, um, any final points you want to make? We do have time. Yes, just to say um, that as I brought up the, the issue of, of um, disaster risk reduction and, and addressing um, development in the face of climate change, and I would just allude to the fact that more than, well, about two decades ago, this this issue um came to the fore when you're, when you're speaking of development looking at development separately everybody kind of realized by that time that you can't just look at development by itself and that especially where we live in the caribbean we live in an earthquake zone we live in my case in st vincent we have a volcano that erupted just a few months ago we live in an area that is prone to hurricanes we have seasonal flooding so many things and and so yes of course whatever is built and whatever is taken into consideration has to um has to bear in mind the risks to which we are exposed but i will just conclude by saying that as mentioned before we need to really think about um ways in which we approach this issue because it's not an issue that is new it is something that comes up ever so often and then there's an uproar we might say in St. Vincent that it's a nine day stop and then after a while it kind of dies down again until something else happens and nothing is really done but i would just say that whatever solution is 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 framed to address this issue that the solution needs to be addressed impartially and applied impartially i think that is another issue that we have in the caribbean we are all from the Caribbean. We know what uh, we know what happens quite often, in that regulations apply to some and not to others, and that is something that is 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 a bane in our development. That has been a bane in our development over the years, where we do not apply regulations and rules impartially, and we need to do that in order for us to move on from where we are today in terms of our 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 march towards um, our goals as Arabian nations. So I would say that you know, that those would be my, my closing thoughts for this, this afternoon. Uh, Mr. Alistair Alexander, your closing thoughts? Yes, uh, vending is the mother, we say the mother of all economic enfranchisement for all people in Barbados. And I know it would be similarly so. Throughout the Caribbean, we have similar history. And uh, what I would also, what I want to say is that, as I said, that the first revolution we had, social revolution we had, was the organization. Remember, organization is very, very important. Nothing is just going to happen by itself. Organization is very important. And uh, I believe that the next social revolution would come in the organization of small business. And within Barbados, the, the economy of Barbados, Vendors are the, the largest sector within the sector of, of our small business. 
And uh, therefore, let me say that as a government, which is your, your parent, should be looking to put in place, talk to these people, talk to those who they see are really interested in 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 in, in participating um, and um, and enfranchise them. That is what is happening in Barbados. We having we are we having in the vending policy they are planned vending zones, and we are also looking working together in a in a social partnership. Um, as my brother is, is saying, calling um, this is um, Alison. Allenson, Mr. Allenson Crickshank. Right. <laughs> Allenson. Yes, I got it. Allenson. Right. I know they call my name wrong all the time. You did. <laughs> Where's Alistair? But um, what I'm saying is that the next social revolution will come about through the organization of small business. And we have, and government has to look to to put whatever is it, what what is necessary. We let us talk, mm -hmm. and I will say, I will part by saying that uh, that Barven's motto is finding solutions through consultation, as opposed to confrontation. And I'll throw it over to Mr. Colin John Jenkins just to uh, be the last word. Uh, what would you want to leave us with, uh, Mr. Jenkins? that we would never have ourselves been on a panel discussing such an issue again. So <laughs> let us not repeat. This. Now is the best time to move forward. Um, again, yeah. it's very unfortunate what happened and the series of events that has led to this. Um, I believe there were lessons learned from such uh, um, an unfortunate outcome. And I really hope the young men get the assistance they need that they can get back on their feet to do things that DCA thinks is in line with the requirements. And of course, um, having a wider discussion as to how we can accommodate more persons because of the economic situation that we're in, generally speaking. And with that, uh, we can end this segment here. I want to say thank you to all four of our guests. Uh, the last voice that you would have heard there, folks, uh, was the voice of Mr. Colin John Jenkins. Uh, he's an architect by profession, chained trained, sorry, in architecture and project management, uh, an advocate of sustainable development practices, and the principal of the firm CJC and Associates. Uh, we were joined as well by Dr. Asad Mohammed. Uh, he is a former coordinator of the graduate program in urban and regional planning at the University of the West Indies, St. Augustine. He's currently director of the Caribbean Network for Urban and Land Management. We were joined as well by Mr. Alanson Kruikshank. Uh, he is an experienced environmental and planning consultant, as well as a lecturer, uh, professionally, his areas of focus include disaster risk reduction, urban and regional planning, sustainable development, research and project management. And finally, of course, we were joined by Mr. Alistair Alexander. He is president of the Barbados Association of Retailers, Vendors and Entrepreneurs, known as Barven. Thanks to all four of you for joining us this afternoon. <laughs>